Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech ecosystem with Dirk Lang, who is the head of life sciences services at the life science business of Merck. KGAA, Darmstadt, Germany. Uh, what a what a great guy Dirk is, and uh, him and I have been trying to connect for some time. And it's uh, I'm really pleased that we managed to get him on the show to share his career learnings and insights with you today. For background, as I mentioned, um, you know he's head of the life science services uh, you know within that business at, at Merck KGAA uh, where he oversees the kind of fully integrated uh, contract testing development and manufacturing organization CTDMO which we'll get into uh, for the life science business. He has over two decades of experience in life science client service organizations and extensive background in clinical and commercial operations. He's held leadership roles at companies such as KBI Biopharma, Selexis, Novartis Biologics, Sando Oncology Injectables, and Rentula Biopharma. He received his master's in professional uh, CCI of technical management and a bachelor of professional CCI of pharma technology. And he also has taught economics and operations management at the Chamber of Commerce uh, Industry in Ulm, Germany. So uh, please subscribe uh, wherever you are and share today's episode. But above all, enjoy it. Hey, Dirk. Welcome to Molecule to Market. Thanks, Ramon. Thanks for having me on the show. And I've got to say, what a great format. I love Molecule to Market. I mean, you couldn't have picked a better name for the show. It's so purpose-driven by thinking about why we're all in this business to advance science and help patients in need. Um, so thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you. What, what a, you're going to be a great guest. I can already tell, Dirk, just by that kind introduction. So, uh, Dirk, you know, you and I have uh, we, were, we were laughing off, off, you know, off recording before about how we tried to meet up at an event and we kept kind of missing each other. So I'm glad we managed to do this and to bring your story to life for our audience. So let's start at the start, Dirk. Like, talk our audience through you and your background in the sector. You've done some incredible roles in your journey to where you are today so if you don't mind kind of just walking us through kind of post-college onwards to where you are today some of the key milestones and one interesting thing I think about you personally is your you're very you very much have a global kind of outlook and the roles that you've done have been all over the world so yeah talk about the locations that you've lived and, and worked as well Sure. Yeah. And, and thanks for setting the frame to uh, set the bracket around after college, because I was actually prepared to get started at, at kindergarten age, but that, that <laughs> definitely shortens it a little bit. And, and we can probably stay within the within the time frame here. Um, no, cool. So I was actually in preparation of this going back and you know how in introductions, you typically say I've been in the industry for so many years and so forth. And I realized that for an awful long time now, I've said 20 years in the industry which is no longer true. So I, I sat down, did the math, and figured out I'm in the industry since 27 years. Wow. So I just stopped counting, but now, now I've got to run with the updated number, I guess. <laughs> you, look like that, you look like you're 21, though, Dick. It makes oh, no sense. Thank you much appreciate it. <laughs> 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 oh, super cool. Yeah, no, I, I actually started at age 17 uh, back in Germany at a small um, privately held company and uh, in a program that's basically an apprenticeship program. And, and gotta say, what a great format because it's a three-year program. And what I did is running through every aspect of the business. 
So over those three years, you basically shadow people in all functions of the business. So starting with the development, process development, analytical development, then uh, warehousing, procurement, manufacturing, and so forth. And you're basically following those uh, folks on the floor for a few months at a time. And it's coupled with school. So a few days or a couple of weeks um, in uh, the company. And then there's a block of time where you go to school and learn kind of the theory behind it and, and the strategies and the technologies um, that, that go along with them, with those respective areas. So over a course of three years, basically, I've seen every aspect of the business, which at that point was actually transitioning from having their own product uh, to moving into the services space, which was another really cool angle to get exposure to um, because it really that that sort of transformation and um, the, the mindset shift features and so forth that had to ship um, was was a really, really cool experience at the time. Um, so those were uh, what I would maybe call the, the foundation of, of it all and uh, allowed me to get a, a high level overview. You're not going to be an expert in anything at that point, right? But uh, it was a good uh, way to figure out what you like and uh, what you're good at and so forth. And from there, I set foot in operations. I started in truck product operations, a septic and so forth, but then expanded from there um, and uh, spent overall actually 13 years at the company uh, with obviously increasing responsibilities and inserted myself into uh, project management, client project management, supply chain, and later on um, also sales. But what I've also done in parallel, because I realized that after the apprenticeship program, that can't be the end of it in terms of education. So I went back to school in parallel and uh, you know spent my weekends and, and evenings um, in classes um, uh, studying uh, pharmaceutical technology, later on uh, economics and production management and so forth, all along while, while uh, just building the career there within the company. And then talk us through where you went from there. So obviously you had a, a, you know, a big chunk of your career and then flirted between this CDMO world and the kind of drug sponsor side. So can you talk us through that journey where you obviously represented some huge companies uh, in senior roles and then ended up being CEO at KBI as well, which was incredible in such a rather small small space of time. So after those 13 years back at uh, actually Rentschler Biotechnology in Germany, I had one of these life-changing moments, uh, literally, that was back at uh, Bio in 2009. I came across the CEO of um, of KBI at the time. Uh, we had a fantastic conversation over lunch, and he really valued um, my background and my expertise for what he needed in the business at the time, because he was taking the shop from an analytical uh, shop to a full-blown CDMO with process development, uh, manufacturing capabilities. So he, he really valued that skill set, and he took a bet on me and basically relocated myself and the family over to North Carolina. So that was one of these like pivotal moments in, in my career and actually in my life, if you will, uh, because that, uh, that was really uh, what an adventure. Um, plus, the company was that small at the time. It was one of these fun things where at the end of the month, you count the cash and you want to figure out how much can we invest in additional equipment and keep scaling the business so we have enough cash in the bank to make payroll this month. Right. So uh, the early, early and, and wild times of uh, building a business. So, super cool experience. I helped, um, you know, it's 
design set up the facility. It was actually the first end-to-end 2,000-liter manufacturing trail, uh, trains for, for biologics. Super fun experience. Um, so helped set this up, uh, ran the facility for a while, and then moved back over to the dark side. I put my business development head on and started selling the capacity and, and filling the pipeline, um, which is also uh, really tremendous, tremendous fun. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, and then actually for, for family reasons, had to go back to Europe and, uh, and joined, um, Sandoz at the time, um, at an oncology injectables, uh, plant. So basically truck product manufacturing chemotherapy drugs. That site, um, got in some trouble with the FDA a few years prior, uh, had a couple of, uh, uh, negative experiences and inspections, uh, ultimately ended up with a warning letter. And uh, they brought in a new management team in order to, um, you know, remediate and uh, bring the site back on track. And I had the, the pleasure of running the the operations um, at the time. I have so. to interrupt there. How it's a it's a really fascinating point in something that I suspect every manufacturing firm, whether it's a drug sponsor side or CDMO, it, you know, receiving that letter must be absolute dread. So. Just talk us through that experience. Appreciate you were there after it happened, but how do you even go about rectifying, not operationally, because I suspect a lot of it is not just operational, but it's a culture thing and it's a mindset thing and it's a way of thinking. But if you if you don't mind kind of lifting the lid on kind of how you how you and the team at the time went about dealing with that, because I imagine that's a it's a very prickly area to try and navigate from a from a senior management perspective. That's that's much harder than uh, remediating the actual quality system, right? You can always um, improve your procedures and and uh, write good SOPs and so forth, but that's uh, that's not uh, what this is all about. The site has uh, you know quality problems. Oftentimes, it comes back to quality culture, and it's really the mindset shift that uh, you were you were talking about. So, I think one of the most important things there is to zoom out and not get like lost in all the details on. Yeah, we need to fix this SOP. We've got a kappa here and so forth. Really take the entire organization and address the why we do what we do so people understand the importance of not just quality and compliance and so forth, but making good product, right? Um, and, you know, in this case, it was a chemotherapy truck product side. So if you imagine, right, have a conversation, bring all the people together in a room and have a conversation about we're not just serving patients in need. We're actually serving very, very fragile patients um, that um, are already, uh, um, you know, susceptible to uh, infections and so forth. And we're making the drug that provides the hope for those patients and their families. This is pretty powerful. Like, if you can't get your organization behind that cost, then I don't know what you can do, right? Um, so that was, uh, I think, one of the absolute key elements was trying to get everybody to understand that we're not doing this to fulfill, you know, certain requirements or so only. It's not a check the box exercise. You've got to do the right thing if somebody's looking or not looking, because patients rely on us doing a really good job every day. Thank you for that, by the way, because I think that's a, it's one of those subject areas that's a bit taboo. <laughs> so it's great having someone to talk about it. <clears throat> So you are, you know, obviously a few years at Sandoz and then what seems like a, a really 
significant step in your career was was you know obviously moving to someone like Novartis before going back to KBI. So talk us through that that period as well, where you obviously spent some time in you know, one of the biggest pharma companies in the world, but actually decided, and I'd be great to hear why you decided to go back to KBI as well, and and it ultimately ended up bringing that business, which is uh, which I suspect was quite a journey. Yeah, so maybe to round up the the quality remediation story there, you know, um, this was a wild ride for a couple of years, but uh, teams come around, uh, um, culture has improved significantly, and we actually managed uh, to bring the site back fully on track in less than two years. So two years after um, joining and after the warning letter hit, we hit a 043 inspection. Um, so really kudos to that entire team. It was just uh, um, a great, great experience. But at the same time, once you do, and that's maybe another taboo area, is once you do a quality remediation like this, uh, you're also layering procedure over procedure, and um, you're uh, you're challenging the sites financially by this because you're not e- exactly increasing throughput or efficiency through it. So I would say following or along with the quality remediation was also a financial turnaround. Um, to focus more on right first time and how to create a lean and, and more agile uh, operating system there. So that was another angle that uh, was a really good learning experience on that on that journey. Um, but ultimately, yeah, after a couple of years, uh, I would say successful closure to that um, mission. And uh, you know, I'm a strong believer that if you address a, an organization's biggest problems, uh, it creates visibility, and if you if you um, you know, if you realize some of these opportunities that come along, um, then that can just lead to a, a very nice um, career path. So in this case, uh, it was recognized that um, I've got operational experience, commercial experience, business development, and so forth, um, and I was asked to help set up an external supply operations group. So. That is basically a holistic way of managing your external partners, whether it be uh, licensed partners, uh, development partners, CDMO, manufacturing partners. Um, so it started building a, um, a holistic group between supply chain, finance, legal operations, MSMT, and so forth um, that would manage our external supply originally for oncology injectables, um, but then expanded. And that was the move over to the Novartis site. Um, to actually govern the entire biologics network there, uh, truck product, truck substance, uh, clinical, and all the way into commercial. And and that was a really cool experience because this was the first time that I was actually walking in the shoes of the customer side. Uh, up until then, I spent most of my career in the CDMO seat, um, and now I'm sitting on the other side of the table and, and getting to experience uh, some of the challenges that... Uh, that uh, client sponsor uh, companies are actually um, going through on a day-to-day basis. And I'm, and I'm going to underline or highlight that point because I'd like to come back to that later on because I think that's one of the key components of your kind of career trajectory that my assumption is that you have that buyer side focus and empathy to be able to deliver, you know, as a, as a CDMO today and, um, yeah, and then can t- please continue the story, and yeah, and ultimately, you know, to what what you're doing today. So, so yeah, to just to that point on uh, on the buyer side, right? One one of the greatest learnings for me is uh, 
you know, once you're solely on the CDMO side, you're sometimes wondering why clients uh, uh, have to revise their forecast uh, frequently or why certain assumptions don't come through. Right? But if you walk in the shoes of uh, the client in this case, um, you get to appreciate the complexity of developing and launching, um, uh, for example, the biologics or some other uh, complex molecules and uh, what it takes to get, for example, the post-launch uh, forecast just right. So you're not running into supply issues, but you're also not overcommitting and running into idle cost at your CDMO or cancellation fees and so forth. So uh, getting this right is a quite dynamic exercise and uh, um, again, just the appreciating what it takes uh, to be successful on this side of the table really inspired me to think of the service side a bit more in terms of how can we actually create value by building more dynamic and more agile processes into our model to acknowledge for the complexities that our customers are dealing with. I can imagine that's, uh, I think that, um, you know, that ability to be able to see and understand things from the drug sponsor perspective, I think my assumption would be, you know, makes you a much better service provider because you understand, as you said, some of the complexities and decisions and challenges as a buyer that makes your job easier in terms of making sure your solutions are fit for purpose. And, you know, the way you work for clients is aligned to doing business in the best way and easiest way uh, is possible. And so, so you, but you decided to go, I suppose, your career then goes back to the CDMO size, in, which is where you've been for, if my maths is is correct, you know, is, you know, the best best part of a long time maybe, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to do the maths like seven or eight years since uh, yeah. you know that your your stint on right that. so so talk us through coming back onto the i'm nice to call it the dark side as well because i imagine clients call cdmo the dark side <laughs> everyone calls it the other side the dark side. When you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so let's call it the light side the light side of uh of cdmo world it's all about partnership right um yeah 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 never cool um so yeah, that, that was uh, another one of those moments where I would say all the stars have aligned. I, I had a lot of fun doing uh, the Novartis thing and the uh, building this outsourcing and external manufacturing network there. But then one day, literally within the same week, I got a call from my ex-boss back at KBI. Um, and they had actually just acquired a microbial manufacturing site from Big Pharma in Boulder, Colorado. Not the worst place to be. Um, and uh, he was looking for somebody to run the site and integrate it into the network and uh, you know transform it from a pharma site into a uh, CDMO, which that's probably a topic for for its own session here um, on on what it takes to do that. Um, but really, kind of a cool and uh, and unique opportunity. Um, and that same week, I actually got a letter from my immigration lawyers from the U.S. where seven years prior i filed for a green card and it was actually linked to the company so literally within one week i had a phone call with a job offer from the company that i applied for a green card seven years earlier and the green card or the letter said in order to get the green card we've got to move to the us and take this job and or take a job with this company within six months wow and uh and that was, uh, was kind of the, okay, I guess it's meant to be. Um, let's go back to the U.S. So that's that's when I uh, rejoined KBI first to, to run this site and and do that uh, transformation again from, from pharma to CDMO. 
um, and and then subsequently you know, scaled it and and grew it um, operationally and and sales wise. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Obviously, you kind of went up the ranks and ended up being the CEO at KBI, which is a great achievement. And then to talk us through then what, you know, what was the decision to move to Millipore Sigma, you know, at that, that phase of, of your career and what, I suppose, what attracted you to the organization that you're working with at the minute, uh, you know, to, I suppose, jump from a very senior role like that into a a much larger organization, but obviously, you know, also in a very senior role that you are today. Yeah. So as we've mentioned, uh, moving through the ranks um, after running this uh, microbial side, became COO and basically created leverage across the network there. Um, uh, and then I got offered uh, the position as CEO, first at KDI and Biopharma, and then also later on at uh, Selexis, a uh, cell line development company, uh, adjacent, basically a sister organization. Um, and uh, uh, sort of integrating the offerings across um, across the companies um but overall spent yeah more than a decade or spent uh, over a decade um in the setting and um and figured you know there's this uh what got you here won't get you there and i think similarly for organizations you can take an organization from here to there and then sometimes it's really good for somebody to take it from here to the next level and uh at that time i actually got a call from millipore sigma which at that point decided to restructure their service businesses um, at the divisional level. So, and, and I've got to admit, um, I knew of uh, Millipore Sigma, right? Uh, you know, the Sigma Aldrich products, the Millipore BioReliance, SAFC, and, and other brands. I guess everybody who's spent some time in the industry probably is familiar with that, some of the brands. Um, but I wasn't aware of the extensive offerings in the services space worked with BioReliance as, as one of my providers in the past um, for, you know, viral clearance, uh, product characterization, and so forth. But I had no idea about the capabilities that they had in the CDMO space. You know, I'm talking 70 years of testing experience, 30 years in viral vector under SAFC, 20 plus years in high potent APIs and linker and bioconjugation ADC, uh, lipids, mRNA, LNPs. So it was vast, vast, uh, uh, broad offering. But at the time, this offering was kind of dispersed and spread out organizationally in different uh, parts of the business. Um, but once they hit critical mass, they basically decided to group all this together and create a home, an organizational home for all these services businesses um, and and fuel the growth of that part of the business. And that's when I when I joined uh, to help set up and run the life science service, so you see your job uh, it was to help I suppose bring all of these um, fragmented pieces of the business together I suppose under one roof so to speak and and it's interesting I was reading an article from I believe it was last year where you um, uh, were interviewed in Bioprocess and International and you know you talked about branding decision to talk about the business as a CTDMO rather than a CDMO. So I'd love you to talk about what CTDMO is and why you guys talk about that phrase and I suppose what it means to the customer in the market at large. So you were you were asking uh, what excited me about the, the opportunity, right? And when I think of uh, 
uh, the offering that we now have under Middle Core Sigma CTDMO, right? We have very fascinating interfaces within the company where there's leverage and value to be generated. Um, on one hand, it's the connection to my colleagues over in um, the process and and process solution side of things, where we develop and manufacture um, consumables, equipment, and a lot of the solutions for the bioprocess industry, for example. And having this side of the business under one roof with the CDMO, right? That to me was really fascinating. Now you've got an interface where you can co-develop, where you can set up new templates uh, or novel modalities, for example. Um, you're addressing some of the processing challenges um, that are out there uh, in collaboration between uh, products and and services. So that that was one of the real um, fascinating interfaces uh, that that drew me towards. Um, this opportunity. The other one was just this very, very broad um, network of capabilities on both the development and manufacturing side, but also the testing side. Because um, um, under the brand uh, BioReliance, uh, most most people might be familiar with uh, the extensive testing and characterization capabilities. And just looking at, for example, novel modalities, the component of having an integrated characterization and testing strategy on how to advance your molecule is so crucial, right? Uh, between logistical challenges, regulatory uh, hurdles to overcome, the more you can integrate, the more value you bring to the client because it means speed to market, it reduces complexity, it reduces risk, right? If you, if you look at some of our supply chains, so we do uh, full-blown supply chain on MRA. We make the lipids, we do the mRNA payload, the LNP formulation fill finish, um, same on ADC, high-potent, the linker, the map, the bioconjugation. And now if you, on top of this layer, all the testing capabilities um, that are needed to get this drug into um, the clinic and into the market, if you can truly integrate this under one organizational loop, and have scientists be able to call up the, you know, if you're working in an ADC and the biocommunication team has a question on how the actual API is behaving and they can talk without any boundaries um, organizationally, that is powerful. And that's why we decided to go with the brand and include the T just because testing informs so much in the development and, and commercialization strategy. I think find this is uh, worth being uh, spelled out, especially if it's not just your vanilla typical testing that uh, most everybody can do in-house, but if you have a differentiated set of testing capabilities and and uh, you can do that in-house versus outsourcing, um, super powerful. It's a good kind of segue into one of my questions, which was around the, I suppose, the breadth of services that you guys offer. And is it, I suppose, from the outside in objectively, is this strategy ultimately to have you know i suppose a a real mix and portfolio of modalities within the business to service or not only service the market more broadly but i suppose to to deal with the lumps and bumps of different parts of the market you know you know, you know varovectors is hot one day ADC is is hot the next day and is is some of the strategy about having the breadth of services that you guys offer is to to be able to i suppose better ride out the kind of ups and downs of different modalities in, in the sector. Yeah, there's certainly a, a part of that is an effect of, of being able to 
spread your risk and uh, and uh, you know make sure that you've got a nice and and diversified uh, portfolio. But the other way to look at it too is where can we add value to our clients? And especially at that interface, I'm talking, for example, novel modalities like the viral vectors, which we do since you know, 20 plus years in uh, uh, suspension and adherent. Um, those novel modalities, they, they aren't as established in terms of manufacturing templates and, and standards. So here, I think we have a very unique angle in this organizational setup. Because in combination, again, with my process solutions uh, colleagues here um, and uh, our side on the service side, we can actually, in a very holistic way, address some of those challenges. Let it be uh, solubility challenges in ADC bioconjugation, uh, which has launched uh, technologies there that significantly improve um, you know, solubility challenges uh, on the site. Uh, Viral vector, same thing. We've launched uh, Virus Express, which is also a result of the combination between products and services that really cuts uh, development times uh, down significantly. Um, so all these uh, you know opportunities where some of the technologies aren't quite as advanced as they might be in in some more um, traditional modalities, I think there's there's tons of value that we can that we can bring to the table. It almost feels like you know in the 80s and 90s when uh, regular recombinant uh, bioprocessing wasn't as established and you didn't have like the manufacturing template for it and everybody was trying to figure out what best uh, what the best unit operations are uh, to get a, a molecule manufactured. Um, we're kind of in that stage with many of the novel modalities at, at this point. So um, mRNA, we have uh, very, very cool technologies on how to amplify the mRNA and get a more defined, better quality product. Um, and these are exciting opportunities um, where I think we've got a, a real good right to play and right to win in this space. And let, let's, I suppose, follow that thread around the different types of novel m- modalities that, that you talk about and that you, you're seeing in the market. And obviously, my, my assumption would be the, you know, the bulk of your business or the real opportunities in your business come from you know, well-funded and emerging biotech companies, as well as the more established big pharma, com- uh, big pharma and biopharma companies. So, you know, obviously the market's been a bit uh, choppy, to say the least, <laughs> in the last kind of eighteen months or so. And what can you share in terms of how you've seen an impact on your, uh, I suppose, business unit? And also, are you seeing any shifts and changes in the type of demand and technologies that clients are looking for? Uh, it'd be just great to get your because you because of the breadth of I suppose service offering that you guys have. It'd be great to get your take on what you're what you're seeing and feeling in the market. So yeah, you're right. We've got a, a nice mix of um, uh, large pharmaceutical companies that we collaborate with, but also <clears throat> a good share of emerging biotechs, uh, virtual companies, startups, uh, you know, venture back um, venture back companies, and uh, you can definitely see that uh, the the macroeconomic challenges that we're experiencing, I wouldn't say they shift what clients are buying, but they certainly shift um, the, you know, on the client buying behavior side. <clears throat> One example for it is, if you look at um, three, four years ago, um, a company would, uh, you know, come up with a really cool idea, get loaded with the uh, VC funding, 
um, go to the CDMO and say, I need process development. I need uh, my first GMP badge and I sign up for a three or five or $7 million project um, all at once because I want to secure my slots and make sure that uh, um, I have no obstacles on, on, my, um, on my road to success here. Um, that has changed, right? So there's still a lot of money in the system and good assets are still being funded, but the buying behavior is certainly changing to where um, plans are oftentimes spreading out activities, right? Where in the past, uh, um, plans were maybe a, a little more eager to take risks and do things in parallel and uh, make certain commitments before actually hitting a certain milestone. We're seeing that this has... Uh, you know, stretched out a bit. Um, so clients would, for example, uh, sequentially do a couple of work packages that might in the past have uh, overlapped. So just a bit more careful spending behavior um, and, and a bit more uh, sequential strategies rather than uh, the all-in. Um, and again, it's not because there isn't money in the system, but I think everybody is trying to be really wise with uh, where, they, where they put it um, and how much risk they're willing to take along the way. It's, it's, I suppose it's, uh, you know, I wanted to underline that kind of that sentiment that you mentioned there that, that I suppose the more sequential and cautious view of the market at the minute. And it's certainly something that we've seen echoed across recent guests that we've interviewed on Molecule to Market, where I suppose, you know, maybe two or three years ago, biotech companies were going all in and, you know, signing off, you know, giving PO, POs for a significant amount of money, whereas obviously the cash burn of these businesses is has changed when the the investment market is harder. So I think I just wanted to you know, reinforce that point that Dirk said of just the mentality shift that we're seeing in the market and, and how that impacts. And I suppose as you look to the future, Dirk, and you know, if I look at the the bulk of the market that you play in you know, it's an interesting one. In one sense, there's there's going to be less m- money, I suppose, moving around the sector in the sa- at the same velocity as a few years ago. But are you expecting an increasing trend towards outsourcing? I suppose the way I look at it is, you know, if I'm a if I'm a biotech based in Boston, do I want to invest in a facility? Do I want to invest in in-house labs? Do I want to invest in a, a big team internally? Or do I choose to outsource more use consultants, use CDMOs, et cetera, et cetera? What's your take on how you think the next few years will go in terms of uh, where the outsourcing model will will go in terms of, obviously it's grown significantly over the last 20 years or so, but the market that we're in right now is different. And so I'd love your take on what you think will happen going forward. Yeah, no, and we obviously look at uh, uh, some of the underlying drivers for the industry and so forth. And we continue to see a very, very positive trend for the entire CDMO industry, right? Uh, for exactly the reasons that you just touched on. Um, there's also um, there's certainly the, the capital side of things. Do I want to invest my money into stainless steel or labs and facilities and increase my burn rate and so forth? Um, and and lose agility um, that way, or do I partner with somebody who has the expertise and has an optimized operating model for what I'm trying to do? So so those trends uh, continue to to last. But then also there's another aspect um, that uh, often is overlooked, and this is around the expertise you're buying, right? um, and especially navigating some of those um, uh, complex situations like launching an ADC or a viral vector or an MRA drug, uh, you need a lot of not only technical and scientific expertise, but also the regulatory expertise that comes along 
and being really smart on that, on how you go about setting up your strategy there is almost as crucial as the, the technical and scientific side. And this is something that uh, you can certainly hire and so forth and, and build that expertise in-house, but that's, it takes a long time right, to um, really get those organizational capabilities under your belt. And that's what you get basically by, by partnering with an experienced DDMO um, uh, right away. One thing I, I mentioned right at the start and um, that I admire about you when, I, when I've looked at your experience is just your, I suppose, openness to relocate in your, in your career. You know, if I look, you know, you obviously started life in Germany and then you ended up in, in, in the US for a, a few years uh, across different locations. You then went back to Europe and then back to the, the US across a different few places um and it's something that's really served me well in my career you know as i speak today and my new home here in toronto and in canada a new location for me my family our business etc so i just wanted to you know get your take uh, and your insight on how it's benefited you so if you think about the your mobility to move to different places and experience new cultures and and i suppose deal with different people from all over the world how has that enabled you to I suppose have a successful career. Has it? As my guess is, it has played a, a role in your success and your career trajectory. But I'd love you to share that experience with with some of our listeners. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a great point, and I think it's uh, it's almost essential to be able to lead a global organization, a large organization, multinational organization, um, to be able to recognize the differences in cultures and behaviors and so forth across uh, different areas of the world. And uh, you mentioned uh, Europe and the US, where I've moved uh, many, many, many times, but I've also spent significant uh, amount of time in Asia, um, uh, across multiple countries. Never lived there, but um, um, had very, very um, uh, uh, several, several extended trips and got to immerse myself into the, the culture there as well. And I think if you're running a business that has uh, sites in multiple locations, um, and, and we're obviously also serving uh, clients around the world with uh, our global network, it's it's really important to be able to um, uh, differentiate and understand what some of those drivers are um, in the different uh, um, countries, both on the employee side, right, your teams, um, how do you incentivize teams in Asia uh, versus in the U.S.? Uh, but also, how do you market in those different markets? Because uh, uh, what works in, in one region might actually not work in the other region. And it's best to actually immerse yourself into the culture so you truly understand uh, the values um, and and then be able to apply that to how you operate your business. Yeah, and I think this, um, you know, for some of our listeners who are contemplating a move or, you know, maybe thinking it's too late or anything like that you know i think those words of wisdom there from, from dirk are, are are great and final question dirk because i know we're about to run out of time and i i often ask this question to people like yourself who have i suppose straddled both sides of of the industry in terms of being on the truck sponsor side but also on the on the fender side as well if if you look i suppose holistically across the industry and the nature of the work that we do obviously in a post pandemic world as well if there's one change you could make to the sector that we operate in 
That's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I think it, it goes back to what I said uh, earlier on just zooming out. Like, and that's why I like the simplicity and Christmas of the title of your show here, because when you zoom out, what really matters is we're all in this business to bring hope and treatment and cures to patients in need, right? And if you zoom out to this like most common denominator across the whole industry, life gets actually easy, right? You can almost address any problem that you might have either um, with an employment situation, right? A turnaround situation, a transformation, or on the client side, uh, uh, negotiating a deal or so. If you zoom out, you're really um, focus on why are we in business? What are we trying to do? It's so much easier to find that solution that works for everybody and adds value to every stakeholder, right? Shareholders, customers, buyers, employees, and so forth. Because ultimately, we're all trying to do the same thing. And I think if we focus on that a little more, um, life gets much easier. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, a very positive, optimistic, and uh, and great sentiment to end today's conversation. Dirk, I've, I've honestly, you, I know you and I have been in touch for the best part of a year now, and I was so excited to to get you on the podcast, and uh, you are certainly not disappointed. So thank you for your kindness and generosity in terms of your time, but also for sharing your your story on, on Molecules Market. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. So there you have it. That was Dirk Lang. What a charming, charismatic, and articulate guest and uh, you know I really hope you enjoyed his insights and stories today I suppose as I reflect on today's uh, episode some of the kind of key things that I uh, took away from from the conversation with Dirk you know something that just resonated with me was his uh, the global mobility piece which we touched on at the start and the end and the fact that he's bounced around a couple of continents and is willing to move to progress his career and 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 ultimately i think that served him really really well in the manner in which he has not only gone up the ladder so to speak but the way he deals with people and understands cultural differences both on you know across different stakeholder types um you know as we look at his early phase career uh, you know i thought it was very brave of him to talk about that kind of dealing with the fda warning letter in a previous role and how he navigated that you know, so he helped navigate uh, the team through that difficult challenge, which is a subject that we we haven't really covered on the podcast before. So it was great to get his his take. And I suppose in that same vein, someone like Dirk, who has been on both sides of the fence, um, and you know, I think he gives some great insights into you know some of the challenges as a buyer and how you know CDMOs and CTDMOs in his case can better service and you know customers in terms of just knowing what the pains are at the client side as well. Obviously, it's great to hear about, I suppose, Menopause Sigma and the business that he rates within, I suppose, the larger umbrella of Merck and, and how he navigates that and what, I suppose, the breadth of service offerings that they have and, and why, they, I suppose, that multi-platform way of thinking kind of uh, makes them a good option for companies in, in the sector. And it was particularly interesting talking about how they've, I suppose, nested testing into their uh, wider service offerings as well uh you know in addition to that i think he talked you know uh, in you know, provide some great insights in terms of the the way biotechs and biopharma companies are navigating uh, cash spend at the minute in the market given given the i suppose the choppy marketplace that we feel so some lots of learnings in there as well as well 
So thank you as always for listening and thanks to my team for pulling this together. This is the first uh, episode that we've done from uh, my new home in Toronto and Canada. Thanks for for listening. Please rate and share uh, the podcast wherever you are listening. And if you're at any events, uh, you know, Bio Pharma, uh, Biotech Week in Boston, sorry, and CPHI, PBOA, give me a shout as I will be at all of those shows and probably a few more. Enjoy today's show. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.